Okie doke. All right, so last, so last class, there's a little review. What we did was we talked about the Gemara We had this, this fun little medrash that was describing the three fundamental levels, uh, these three oaths that, that, that we take before we're born, and they represent three, the three different fundamental levels of being alive, behavior, thought, and belief. Uh, a little refresher, the, the first oath was that we should behave righteously and not wickedly. That was the behavior. Cover the idea how, you know, actually acting differently changes the way you think. That was the idea behind that one. Oath number two what was thinking about yourself, even though the whole world is saying you're righteous and you're perfect, you're amazing, to always see yourself as a Russia. And the idea behind that was never judging yourself vis-a-vis other people. You're always judging yourself based on yesterday. And the idea that there's always room to grow. It's not like you are really a Russia, but that growth is infinite. Okay. And then the last, the last oath that we took was that all these, you know, that all these spiritual concepts, you know, malachim, spiritual forces, and your neshama are all tahor. They're all pure. And what we kind of got into that idea was, a, you know, inherent worth that that we are uh, created. As being Salam Elohim, we, we, are, we are shadows of God. And that's, that's more than worth something. What we took out of these three different principles was that all of them were kind of a, a, you know, a, 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 a bit of a roadmap in keeping us on track in the halachas of Bain Adam La'atzmo, how we treat ourselves. What we owe ourselves. I like that idea more. So we really owe ourselves something, and I think that's an important, it's an important thing to put on the table, especially, especially you know. I don't want to. I don't want to sound stupid saying this, but the, you know, because I, I, I didn't grow up as a woman. I can't swear what it's like. But what the what the research shows is that you know women are very agreeable more than men, as a, as a personality construct, as a personality trait. And um, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why that why that is. You know, ba- you know, women have babies; they take they take care of other other people. You know, on a biological level, and men don't. Men are just disagreeable. You know, that's why like 90 plus percent of everybody in prison is male. They're not agreeable people. And you know, when you're agreeable, you know, my I, you know, if you take the Big Five personality assessment, it's a fun test to take. You know, I I, I scored pretty high in agreeableness. So I, I'm speaking a little bit from experience. It's a, the Big Five is what it's called. It's the only research-based personality test. All the other ones are just jokes. They're they're not based on anything. They were never really validated. You know, they're fun. But the but the Big Five, the the Big Five was actually based on real research. So it's it's nice to take. Um, and you know, all all of those five. You know, it's it's. It's, it's agreeableness, crea- creativeness, neuroticism, openness to experience, ex- being extrovert or introvert. Um, they're on a, on, a, on a dual scale, so you know, introvert, extrovert would be one, one scale. Uh, anyway, so women are more agreeable. And so, you know, being more agreeable oftentimes makes, it motivates people not to do what they deserve for themselves. You're too busy giving, and you're not busy enough taking what you ought to take, what you owe yourself. So that was one, one principle we got out of this. And we're going to kind of develop that a little bit more. Um, the second idea was this idea of discovering as opposed to 
learning from Piaget, this idea that, that we're, we're more trying to, we, we more or less, you know, a lot of, a lot of what we know and our abilities are, are already, there's a biological base for them and, you know, the environment nurtures them, helps them grow, but there's a lot there that just we're born with. We're not, we're not a clean slate at birth. And a lot of what we're doing in life is really discovering things, truths that we know in our gut, but we haven't been able to really verbalize yet or really clarify for ourselves. That was point number two. Um, what I want to focus a little bit more on is this idea of ideology and religion, this idea of paradox. Um, how how these, these three principles, you know, especially the number three and number two, are really tackling with paradox. That while, you know, on the one hand we're saying that we are Tahor and we're, you know, Tselem Elohim, at the same time we're saying, no, always look at yourself as a Russia. That's a paradox. You know, how can you be godlike and be evil? That sounds silly. So ide ideologies are just taking one narrative, you know, and, 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 and it forgets the other half of the story. Whereas a religion, the way I was defining it, um, it more in line with, with uh, sociologists, is that, you know, re religion is more of a thing that is a, a fuller picture, a more holistic picture, taking paradoxes and letting them be together simultaneously. As far as halakha is concerned, the, the one edit, little wrinkle I want to throw in, is that when we are uh, working out different areas of halakha, well, we have the paradox, and that's kind of like the elu elu idea, you know, that, you know, two different positions are truth somehow. Um, but in halakha, we actually have to make a value judgment. We choose one. So there's a little bit of, yeah, you have to be an ideologist. You have to, practically speaking, choose one side of the paradox when deciding halakha. But, you know, my own experience as a rabbi, um, you know, I, you never just, there's no rule book, you know, even though there's a shokhan aruch, you know, people ask you questions and I've never just given an answer. You know, I always reassess, you know, what, what is going on in the person's life, their environment, you know, how do they feel about something? What are they thinking about something? There's just so many different factors because life's a paradox. You can't just give cookie cutter answers. And that, that actually, when the shokhan aruch was written, um, that was the primary criticism of it. It wasn't like Yosef Karl wrote the Shokhan Aruch and everyone loved it. It's like actually most people hated it because it simplified the halakhic process and made it, made it more like an ideology as opposed to a religion. So you kind of have to give the devil his due. We sometimes have to live, we have to pick one side of the paradox, but don't rush into it. Okay. What I, what I wanted to kick around today is this idea of our sense of self, the idea of what the Yetzer Har and Yetzer Tov is, um, and revisit this idea of paradox. I spoke a little bit about last time about, you know, this, this, this paradox of life is biologically rooted in our brain, you know, our left hemisphere is more, you kind of think of it as the predator side of us. You know, it's the side that, that you know, collects information. It's, it's the language processing aspect of, of who we are. You know, that's the part of our brain that's, that's, you know, that's more math-oriented, very data-oriented. Um, that side of our brain recognizes detail and 
and that's where our positive affect comes from. You know, positive emotions are based more on the left hemisphere of the brain. That's, that's exploration and being curious. That would, be, that would be what that side of the brain does. It creates order. The right side of the hemisphere, that's actually our prey side. You know, people, you know, in human history, we are predators and we are prey. We eat things and we have been eaten. You know, it's, it's surprising, you know, like, you know, how many people are actually eaten by crocodiles today? People are food. We don't usually think of ourselves as that. And our biology is organized in such a way where we think that way. That's the, the right, right hemisphere governs fear and anger, all the negative emotions. It, um, it, 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 it kind of like looks at the world in general themes, looks for patterns, and it kind of represents this idea of, and it's more of an in intuition as opposed to data. Um, it's chaos looking at the world as being a dangerous place. And are people more, tend to be more left, right? Do people lean on their left brain, right brain type of thing? A um, little bit, not so clear. I mean, like different researchers kind of say different. I want to talk about that because that's a cool, the, what happens when those, what happens when the left and right hemisphere are broken, are separated? Because there are some cases where people actually have to have a surgery to separate their left and right hemispheres. Usually it's people who are epileptic, and it's like everything has failed. I mean, they even went through, like, uh, you know, electric shock therapy and nothing's helped. It's, like, really desperate. Um, and so what they do is, is they actually go in, and they go, it's, it's, they go in, and they actually separate the section that unites your left and right hemisphere. So what happens? Life gets weird. What they discovered is that these two hemispheres of the brain are, are, are actually almost like quasi-consciousness. Like you have two consciences, so to speak. Consciousnesses, so to speak. Conchai. <laughs> Conchai, yeah, there you go, yeah, why not? Um, where literally people who, you know, they'll be, you know, a couple different, couple different things in the research they found is, you know, um, you know, someone will be like putting their clothes on, like pulling up their pants with their right hand and the left hand will be literally pulling it down. Or, you know, there was one patient who with his left hand, he was, he was like literally like grabbing his wife to hurt her. And with his right hand was stopping his That's left so hand. Insane. It really, it really opposites. So this is, this is so people like that surgery? Yes. Yeah. 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 Is that like multi-personality? No, no. Well, it, I mean, that's an interesting point because like what, 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 the, what the research in this kind of shows is that this idea of... Carl Jung put it best. I have a quote here. You know, the, the so-called unity of consciousness is an illusion. We like to think that we are one, but we are not. So, I mean... Multiple personality disorder—that's that's a that's a different problem. But but the idea of having different personalities—you betcha, we we have a lot of different parts of ourselves. So this this level one, what I'm presenting is you know these two different ways of engaging these world, the, engaging the world as as predator, as prey, as that which creates order or that lives in chaos, and those are two two parts of our being. Both our consciousness in of themselves. And what, one little nikuda that kind of, it's not really such a link, but it's something to kind of keep in your pocket, is I almost kind of visualize this as, you know, that's like the biological layer of, 
of who we are as separated beings, you know, beings of contradiction. Um, and then layer number two is Yetzer Har and Yetzer Tov. What's that? A par- and so I just kind of, I want to like put this idea in your pocket that came out of this research. We'll, we'll swing back to it maybe a little later. If, if, so like the Yetzer yeah. Tov is left side, Yetzer Har is right well, side? No, no, I know, no. We're gonna, what, what I'm going to be arguing is that these are two different, two different um, polar opposites, that they lay on each other, but they're not the same thing. So it's like sometimes, there's nothing inherently bad being, uh, a, a, being a predator. Sometimes it's a good idea. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong. Anytime you seek a goal, anytime you want to achieve anything in life, you're being a predator. Basically, you're going after a goal and you're trying to achieve it. Um, that's not inherently bad. Um, you know, I like eating meat. I don't know about you. You know, like, where does, that's okay. That's fine. Um, Give me the, the, the spaghetti with meatball night from last session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. Um, whereas, 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 being being prey, you know, like looking at life in a more holistic way. Well, there's nothing wrong with that either. But so that's that's it's it's amoral. It doesn't actually have you know moral value one way or another. It's just that's just the facts of life. That's level one. Well, level two is yates are and yates are tov and and. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it. Yates or Hara gets a bad rap. Because the way, the way that I see it, um, a couple of different Mepharshim, the Emeka Davar talks about this on, uh, you know, in his commentary describing the, 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 the Dormabul. You know, when in human history was the Yetzirah most successful when it was able to destroy all of humanity? That's coming up in Parshish Noach. So you can learn a lot with, you know, well, what, what is the Yetzirah from that, from that story? And the way he kind of describes it's kind of cool because it's almost like he describes as though, well, we have a survival instinct. And that can be either this predator aspect or this prey aspect. Both are survival. You need both. But what the Yetzirah does is it's almost like survival uh, on steroids. It's, it's this sort of, you're taking what you need, that's survival. But then there's taking what you don't need. That's something completely different. And it gets a little ambiguous because, you know, well, you know, in Bereshis Rabbah, there's a medrash that talks about that, that Chazal tried to, to, you know, the Sanhedrin got together, Chazal got together, and, to, and they decided, well, we're going to daven away the Yitzhahara. Have you heard this medrash? So they, they get together, they agree, okay, well, you know, like we got, they did the same thing for Avodazara. So, like, that's why people oh, don't have the same sort of connection yeah. to Avodazara, you know. Um, with that, that's also a complex idea. That's not so clear cut, but but um, so they, they, that was so successful that worked really well. And so let's get. They said, well, let's get back together and let's do the same thing for the Eight Sahara. So they did, and it was amazing, and there was peace on earth. But wait a second, people stopped building houses. They stopped forming communities. They stopped. Um, build, they stopped getting married. They stopped having children. You know, the the things that make life worth living, we just stopped doing. So. They got back together real quick. The world's not going to last long if, if this keeps up. And so they daven back into existence the Yetzirah. So the Emeka Davar in his commentary is, is really focusing in on that idea that, well, it's not so clearly clear that the Yetzirah is bad in of itself. It can get bad. It can malfunction. You can start, you know, these, you know, the, you know from a, from a, a, a dugma from a psychological perspective would be hoarders. People who just hoard everything. And if you've ever known anybody like that, it's the hardest thing to treat, Agav. 
um, where they just like you oh, enter in their house no. and everything like you know new every newspaper that's ever been written this guy's collected and just stacked up you know from floor to ceiling buried alive buried alive Wait, what's the word you said that the Zahara can get bad but like it doesn't it's not it's not bad itself but it's that it that it's not bad it's a it's a it's a survival instinct but can at a certain point malfunction. Malfunction. Yeah. Gets too carried away taking. The idea I kind of wanted to mention, getting a little bit back, this is going to, this is going to be, this is going to be connected to the idea of seichel, which I kind of look at as, 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 balancing these contradictions in our life. Um, they found with the split brain research um, is that this is really cool. Basically, what the way that you see is if if you were to like put blinders like right in the middle of your pupil, so like you're separating your vision into two and with both eyes. The left side of what you see goes to the right hemisphere. The right side goes to the left hemisphere. Okay, so it just reverses order. So they were showing. Like say like written written they had a written uh, direction go get a can of coke, and they would they would put it in the person's left side so it's going to their right hemisphere. Well, the right hemisphere doesn't have any verbal, it, it doesn't it, that's not where 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 language comes from, so people would see it, and they wouldn't realize they're seeing it. They couldn't put it into words. They recognized the direction, and they would get up and get a can of Coke. And the researcher who was doing the whole study would say, well, why are you getting a can of Coke? Oh, I'm thirsty. That's interesting. And they did it with all sorts of things, like going to the bathroom, going out to make a phone call. Like, they were, they were giving these people directions to do, and they would do it, but they didn't realize the real reason why they were doing it was because they were reading it. They, yeah, exactly. They were rationalizing their behavior. <laughs> that the ba the basic thing is that the, the point I want to get across is in this study they were showing how people rationalize their behavior. Oftentimes we do things first because of our inclination. And here in this study they're getting a written message that only the right part of their brain has access to. So they're giving a direction in writing, go get a can of Coke. They don't realize they're reading it because their, their verbal powers are in the left hemisphere. And what they do is they stand up and get a can of Coke. And so the researcher asks, hey, why are you getting a can of Coke? Well, he doesn't realize he got instruction to do it, so he rationalizes and says, I'm thirsty. I have to use the bathroom. I have to call my wife. But that's not why he's doing it. That's so Was it wasn't there propaganda where they, they wouldn't pay him? No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. Because when, when you, when you oh, well, the, again, because when you separate the left and right hemisphere, the two don't communicate anymore. Okay. That's why. It's only for these people. It's very crazy. So it, it, what, what this does is opens up a huge can of worms, and we ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Wasn't there a propaganda where they'd play a movie, and every split, like, mm. second, they would put words? Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, uh, it's not so effective, you know, because with people who actually have their hemispheres combined, like, that doesn't really do much. You might get, like, a little effect, but so it's not. what you're saying is that basically we're in a cult. <laughs> and then, like, let's say we're in that, like... Did I say God that? Is, <laughs> God is like, let's say, 
what if we're like it's scary and God is just all like, oh, I'm telling you to do this, but we think we're doing it for ourselves, but really we're mm. doing it because like our mind thinks that like we need to be doing it, but really okay. we don't. Okay, okay, so I, I'm actually wanting to approach this from the exact opposite angle. Okay. Because that, that, uh, that Judaism is trying to liberate us from the cult of life. That's what I'm arguing. Because the way, the way this... It's a cult. The way... We're an anti-cult. I have a story for after I'll tell you about. It's a funny story. Um... Just remind me about about my first yeshiva experience. We'll get back to that. But but um, but the bo- the bottom line is that well, why is it not a cult? Because like we, we go after our inclination or anatia. What it's almost kind of like there's a there's a great researcher. His name is Jonathan Haidt, who did a lot of research in this area. He's a he's a moral psychologist, and the way he puts it, his metaphor is almost like there these two parts of us. There's our inclinations. I'm not even talking against a hard against Tobia, just like our, our full biological inclinations. It's like a big elephant. And wherever elephants want to go, that's where they go. And it'll turn left, it'll turn right. And the rider on the elephant, that's our, our intelligence, our seichel, you know. Um, well, it can't exactly, if the elephant wants to turn left, you're not, you know, as much as you try, you're not going to be able to get this elephant to turn right. But what the seichel does is it kind of, it makes sure, well, if you want to go left, fine, we'll go in this direction, and it keeps things stable. That's the rationalization. Another, another metaphor he gives is almost like a, the, the, the president's press secretary. His job is whatever, the, whatever lunacy the president wants to you know, put into effect by law. The press secretary, has, his job has always been, whether Democrat or Republican, his job is always to justify the decision, but he's not giving the real reasons why. He's giving a rationalization that looks good for the public. So what we, what we end up doing, most of our thinking, is really justifying our behavior, justifying our natural inclinations to people so we don't look stupid. That's what most thinking is based on, on what came out of, out of this, uh, this research. So what, what I'm arguing Seichel does, and what, what the, the halacha system enables, actually, is to create a system that takes us out of rationalization and kind of forces the elephant to go through one particular hallway. It's like you're kind of boxing this guy in, okay? Like, we're not, you're not going left, you're not going right. We're going to kind of focus you and... Keep you from keep you from drifting, and gives you an opportunity to think out what you're actually doing in life. This is actually kind of cool because you know the, you ever in the in the sitter right before right before uh, de Zimra they have the Yud Gimel uh, Midos right the thirteen hermeneutical rules. Um, so on that list is not reason giving. That's cool. We don't create halacha based on um, the tameha mitzvahs. It was it's it's a machlokus in the Gemara. Is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Rabbi Meir argue we do? This comes up in Shas in different places, um, and the, everyone else says no, you don't. You don't paskin based on rationalization tameha mitzvahs. Well, because sometimes the Tommy Mitzvahs, maybe you're wrong, maybe it's not really the Tom, maybe it is a rationalization. 
because we're kind of built that way to be a little prejudiced based on how we're feeling every day of our lives. So within the halakha system, we actually take that out. We say, don't rationalize. And that's how we paskin the halakha. What we're allowed to do is after we have halakha set up in this more, it's like, kind of like almost like mathematical, like when you start thinking about like gazera shavas and like this word, this word appears here and well this pusik is next to this pusik. It's very mechanical. There's not so much room to rationalize. So the halakhic system is actually taking out the ability to do that, to save us from, from that, from that, uh, from that rationalization. So, kind of recapping a little bit here. So we have, we have these, these two, you know, our, our left hemisphere, right hemisphere, the two ways we survive in the world, predator and prey. We have the Yetzir Tov, Yetzir Hara. The Yetzir Hara is survival skill. And we kind of think so of... What's the Yetzir Tov? Yeah. So, so, thi- so I would think Yetzir Tov would be something along the lines of selflessness. In, is more of a being a part of a, a, a collective. It's, it's almost kind of like reducing your sense of indi- as, as an individual and accentuating your identity as a part of the group. That's what I think the Yitzhar Tov is mostly, mostly doing. So you have self... Okay, so it's, it's, being, it's being selfless. I, I think Yitzhar Tov is being yeah. selfless. As opposed to Yitzhar Hara is survival. Where if you're surviving, you're putting yourself above everybody. You're putting your individual identity above everybody. Because, man, you got to survive. Whereas the Yetzer Tov is the, pri- the, the, the value that it represents is selflessness. Well, there you're putting other people before you. You're reducing your sense of identity. You're, you're, you're basically joining a group, really. And you're just you're being a part of a group. A part of the call. Yeah. Now the Yetzer Tov has has really good press, and I don't think it's so warranted. It sounds good on paper being selfless. You know, we hear that. You know, when you pray, you know, you never, you never, you never praise somebody by saying, "Man, that guy is so selfish." Good job. You know, we don't talk that way. But when you stop and think about it, um, being selfless is pretty dangerous. You know, the more selfless you become, the more you put others in front of you. Well, that has consequences. I mean, those can have deadly consequences. Like fixing the mask for kids for you. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Rav Schwab has a really, really, it's in English, but he has a really cool um, commentary on davening. Have you read Rav Schwab's Rabbi on prayer? Oh uh, yeah, Rav Schwab's, hey, Rav Schwab's great. Yeah. Rav Schwab. So any he so in in the bracha of Yehiratzon, the last one in the in the morning brachas, the really big long one at the end of morning brachas, um, that Yehiratzon, there's a line that says v'chaf es yitzreini lehishtabed lechat that you know suppress my yitzer so that I can be that I can be of service to you or I subjugate myself to you. You know, would be a translation of that. So the question is, okay, well, wait a second. In that, in that tefillah, we, we already said, you know, you know, Hashem, help me out with my Yetzir Hara. We already asked, hey, Hashem, help me out with my Yetzir Tov. We already mentioned it in that tefillah. So what's this Yetzir? 
to, to you know help you know help me increase it you know like, that I that I that I use it properly you know like I'm I that, that it should be more present I guess. But but th but this yeah but this one is like well what Yates are you talking about you already. I, I think kind of yeah well I I think well the way where Schwab puts it anyway, is that this Yatzer is actually your Yatzer Tov, and we're saying you know sometimes your Yatzer Tov gets us in trouble sometimes we want to be too good we put our nose in the business of other people where it doesn't belong, and we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. You know the the biggest the biggest example of this is you know. And it kind of sounds heartless, but it really isn't. You know, obviously you want to help people, but you know, challenges in life are what build us. And if you go around in life trying to solve everybody's problems, well, you're just stealing their problems. You're stealing what makes them become better people. Well, that's motivated by the AIDS or Tov. I want to help people, but people have to kind of not not. Hold, I'm not saying like be heartless. Obviously, you have to help people, but there's something to consider when helping somebody. You should at least ask the question: Am I stealing an opportunity from this person that they can face the challenge, they can work out the problem themselves, and become a stronger, better person all on their own? Not to fragilize people is the idea. The more you treat people as fragile, the more fragile they actually become. In, let's throw this out to you guys. Um, when did your parents start letting you go out alone? What age? 15? I had a brother, so I think 13, we both went out. Like, 13? Yeah, that's about right, that's the average for your guys' generation. Mine was six. Right. I not 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 just in Iowa, but I mean it made me a little earlier. But but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well the only th the only problem there you're gonna run into pigs there. I mean like you know that's the worst the worst that could happen. But no, the average in the United States was six years old in the you know for my generation. And what's been going on recently is that people have 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 you know had becoming especially in the United States more and more fragile. You know the the rates of depression and anxiety are growing. And other, other mental disorders aren't. So it's like, it's not like people are just more open about talking about anxiety and depression. There's something that happened at, in your guys' generation that has caused people to be more fragile. So one, a lot, there's a lot of research that, that, that is pointing to the culprit of parents overprotecting their children. And so they never learned that they're strong. And it was really because, you know, you know, in the 80s, you know, people, um, the, the 90s, sorry, in the, in the 90s, there was, a, there was a crime wave and there was a couple high, um, you know, there was a couple of well-known stories about kids being kidnapped. And so all parents were like freaking out, like, you know, I don't want my kid being kidnapped. When you actually look at the numbers, it's like maybe 100 kids are going to be kidnapped in the United States every year. 100 something. It's not a lot. You know, more... more <laughs> There's a lot more. I mean, more people, I think, die from from um, from Coke machines every year. Yeah, because when you you put in the you put in the money, you bang on it, your Coke doesn't come out, and you accidentally you're rattling it and it falls on you. I'm not joking. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm not joking. Coke Coke machines are more dangerous. Coke machines are more dangerous than going out alone as a six year old. Who's the first guy to kidnap someone? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. No <laughs> so, so the the good intentions of parents, the Yates or Tov of parents, has damaged entire generation. 
made them more fragile, more susceptible to depression and anxiety. But wouldn't it be... Let's say, I feel like yeah. it just depends on where you grow up. Because what happens mm-hmm. if you're living in an area that happens to be more like a bad area? Yeah. Why would your parents like let a little, let's say, eight-year-old girl go out when there's also a lot of like stabbing yeah yeah no this is this is this is this is variation there's a there's variation based on you know obviously you know you know there are places that are no way you're correct because everyone's gonna have child services called on them like how could you oh it is a problem because you're right because in some places i i know in in i think it's arizona they actually passed a law that parents they made it that parents can't be sent to jail for letting their kids go outside alone they had to make a law to protect protect parents weird um, so I mean, there there are ways of correcting it. I mean, like it's 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 you know, word of the wise when you guys have kids, you know, don't don't treat them as fragile. You know, like the more the more capable you treat them, the more capable they actually become, the stronger they actually get. The same thing it kind of came out with uh, peanut allergies in the states. In Israel, it's something like people who have a, a predisposition to getting a peanut allergy. In Israel, like in that population, it's like one percent of that group ends up having a peanut allergy. Well, in the United States, it's 17 to 20%. What's going on? In the States, what, what, was, what uh, doctors thought is, well, you know, if you're, if you're noticing, you know, you're nursing your kid and, you know, mom's nursing your kid and you notice, oh, like there's an allergic reaction, you know, oh, you know, the kid's not, you know, having tummy aches and stuff. Well, you know, take peanut out of the diet. Great. Well, it stops the tummy aches and you're able to sleep at night, you know, as a parent. But what ends up happening is that you basically curse your child to carrying an EpiPen the rest of his life. My brother carries Yeah. Whereas in Israel... For peanuts and fish. For peanuts, yeah. yeah what about these? Large beans. Okay, yeah, there's... Yeah, we're going to have to... Whereas, whereas in Israel, it's 1% because how could you deny anybody Bamba? Right, that's the thing. That's the thing. It is. You, you give them more. Yeah. Yeah. You you give you give more of what's harming the kid to make him stronger. So that's that's the that's the Yates or toe. Give more of something harmful to make it less harmful. Basically, right? Yeah. Well, you know, this doesn't work for poison. I mean, like, you, I'm not like this is not like a general rule of life. You know, like you know, but but. It's something to keep in mind that this is the this is the the downside of the Yetzer Tov. So we have. So basically, we should get a lot of bad things so that we'll be able to overcome them to become better. All I'm suggesting is always ask the question before you help somebody: Are you fragilizing them? Are you treating them as though they're fragile? Are you stealing their problem as opposed to helping them with their problem? A lot, we, 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 people need people. We need to help people. We need to be there for people. We need to have compassion. You know, this is not, I am not selling a survival of the fittest philosophy. It's, but it's stopping and thinking for a second, at least putting this in the equation, at the very least, because this is the Yetzer Tov malfunctioning, being too nice. So it's, we have, we have our, again, we have this, this map of life here. We have our left brain and our right brain. We have our, our survival instincts, both as predators and prey, prey creatures. We, we, we create order. We create chaos. We, that's, that's kind of like where we play. We have these two inclinations. We have the Yetzer Tov, the Yetzer Hara. Both, are, both have their merits. 
and both can lead us to very dark places we do not want to go. So what balances the two, the, you know, the two sides here of, of these, two, these two layers? Well, that's the seichel. Having a system where we can step out of ourselves, step out of our bio biology, step out of our moral inclinations, self-preservation and selflessness. To be yes, that seichel is the is is what you'd want to develop in order to live a rich life. But so for for the sake of argument, it's it's rational thought as opposed to rationalizing. The rationalizing is going to be rooted in Yetzirah Yetzir Tov. It's going to be rooted in our biology, rationalizing our behavior, post hoc. But what Seichel does is what Seichel does is it's forethought before you start um, confronting your your biology, before you start thinking about your moral inclinations. That comes before Seichel is forethought as opposed to rationalization after the fact. Can you also yes. say Seichel is more of like your common sense, or would you just? More it's because that's like you know what makes up common sense. It gets complicated because a, com a lot of common sense is based on your biology. A lot of common sense is based on your moral proclivity. You know, um, you know. I'll tell you, like for example, you know, one thing that I in my own personal life. If you look up Jonathan Haidt, he has a really cool website, yourmorals.com.org. Sorry, yourmorals.org, and he has a, a, a mor uh, he has an assessment that can actually measure. He looks at like morality as having like six different factors to it, and what differentiates liberals from conservatives is liberals really emphasize two of those harm and fairness and really don't care about the others freedom um authority and sanctity and there's one i think i'm forgetting why don't you say liberals are more like free because they just don't care about like not necessarily whatever like they don't put themselves in any necessarily box or rules well that's a I mean, that's a part of it because they don't they don't relate to authority as much as a moral value or sanctity, kedusha, as as much. So, like conservatives have a much more um, kind of think about it as like taste buds. Like conservatives have a lot more taste buds of morals than than liberals do. So, I actually like biologically speaking, like I'm more of a liberal. Like I relate very much to fairness and harm. And I've and in my life, it's always been a struggle, kind of relating to authority and sanctity and all these other concepts that are also equally valid moral ideas. And so I, in my own life, have tried, I've had to use seichel to compensate for my blind spot. But aren't they? Don't they both have different kinds of morals? It's it's very it's it's level. It's not there. No one's going to have different different morals. Everyone's going to have the same six. It's just how much. The six factors of fairness, harm, uh, uh, authority, sanctity, um, so and all the other ones I'm, I'm forgetting. So he has this website, your, yourmorals.org. So you can take the test and figure out where, where you fall in, uh, in your own, uh, your own natiyas, figure out your Yetzir Hara and your Yetzir Tov with that, uh, with that moral test. But, that, but that's Seichel, like in my life, I really have to compensate with putting more value in authority, putting more value in sanctity, those being, those being on my radar. Because left to my own devices, they aren't. That's something that my Seichel had to develop in forethought, as opposed to just justifying, oh, harm, you know, the only things that are important are harm and fairness. That's rationalization. So that's why I'm saying that, that's, that the, the, 
the fact that within halacha, I just love how this uh, uh, lines up so beautifully because in halacha, all of those um, factors of morality that Jonathan Haidt puts forward as existing, halacha involves every single one of them. It saves you from from the uh, from the cult of I don't want to I don't want to like put down liberals. That's not my way, I, you know, because I whatever you know, like go Democrats. But like it saves you from that cultish thinking because it's demanding a person to develop those other taste buds that you might not be born with. Like me, I wasn't born with them. Anyway. And we'll, we're running out of time here, so we'll, I guess we'll wrap up for today. Any questions or thoughts or anything? I like this. I like this. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool stuff. Okay. Yeah? No. No, you're good. You're good. All right. All right. Tell your wife you say thank you. I will indeed. Take it easy, guys.